You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, September 25th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger Podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. Impeachment is happening this week. Nancy Pelosi has finally opened an official inquiry, she calls it, an impeachment inquiry. A lot is involved. A lot is going on, and we are going to talk about it with Rich and Katie. And, of course, imagine what Dan ITMFA Savage would be doing right now with this news. After that, we will return to our conversation about vaping-related illness and death. It's an outbreak that has caused a lot of concern and confusion and feedback from Blabbermouth listeners who had some things to say about what we said on the last show. We'll address that. And then Jasmine Kymig talks about the Emmys and Chase Burns talks about JLo in Hustlers. But first, ITMFAing in D.C. Rich, good morning. I'd wish you good morning back, but I want you to do me a favor first. What's that? I got this conspiracy about Hillary Clinton's emails that I'm looking into. <laughs> and, you know, if you want your good morning, I just want some assurances that maybe you're going to look into this weird CrowdStrike conspiracy. Yeah. Well, you know, you are a great role model to me and all the people I know. I'll so... send, you know what? I'm going to send Bill Barr and Rudy Giuliani to say my good morning to you. Good morning, Eli. <laughs> Katie, hello. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Eli. <laughs> I'm sorry for Dan that he cannot be here on Impeach the Motherfucker Already Day. I know. It is, uh, it's really too bad. The analogy that Dan himself, I think, had embraced was Dan Savage sitting in a bathtub waiting for impeachment dom Nancy Pelosi to uh, allow him to cure his impeachment blue balls, which I think maybe today, finally? Well, we'll see. I mean, I think we're, we're going to be probably talking about this for a while. Do you yeah. think Mike Pence is like a little bit excited. Not like what does that super... look like? What does it look like when Mike Pence does like his eye, one eyebrow lifts a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I think he just bloats a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. He just extends. He burst out into spontaneous prayer. <laughs> the thing that I love is that today we can catch people up for anyone who has managed to miss all this in just two sentences. I think that is the reason that this is now moving and moving really fast. So sentence one is what... Trump did. You could never get the whole Russia investigation into one sentence, but this one you can. The president of the United States got on the phone with the leader of a foreign nation, Ukraine, and pressured him to investigate his rival for the presidency in 2020. So he enlisted the help of a foreign power to interfere in U.S. elections. He openly colluded on the day after your father, Rich, Robert Mueller, had testified before Congress about the whole Russia collusion thing. What does that tell you, Eli, about crimes? High crimes. <laughs> it tells you that if you get off, if you evade punishment for a crime, you're likely to, if you're the president of the United States, try a similar crime the very next day. Right? I mean, that's the gall of this. Is yeah. That he's like, oh, I'm exonerated, total exoneration? Great. Listen, Ukraine, uh, I, got a, I got a proposition for you. You want your missiles? Uh, I got a guy who I need investigated, uh, happens to be my uh, chief political rival son. I was just welcoming <laughs> the arrival of Law & Order Rich, Prosecutor Rich, on this ITMFA <laughs> day. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you don't get him for the crime, they'll just do it again. But it is true in the case of Donald Trump, it seems. And so Nancy Pelosi this week... 
<laughs> got on board with the rest of the Democratic caucus, or not the, the entire Democratic caucus, but a burgeoning cohort of the Democratic caucus in Congress and said she is opening an impeachment inquiry. And along the lines of what you're saying, Rich, what do you know? The next day, which is today, we got the transcript of what? the memo. The yeah. Yes. <laughs> the reconstructed rough transcript. You don't know what's been disappeared from the transcript, but the reconstructed rough transcript of President Trump's call with the newly elected president of Ukraine in which he pressured him to investigate Biden. And that's all in the released transcript. And now it sounds like Congress is going to get the whistleblower complaint, which started all of this, where someone in the intelligence community who has been watching Trump's call with the president of Ukraine and some other things, the whistleblower complaint involves not just this call, but a pattern of things, was trying to blow the whistle on this. The intelligence community is required to give this complaint to Congress. They haven't at the direction of the White House, it sounds like. But now that Pelosi has started an impeachment inquiry, it sounds like they're going to get at least some of the whistleblower complaint. They're entitled to all of it. So hopefully they will go for all of it. And yeah, like you were saying, Rich, the lesson is when you bring the law down on the lawless president, as Nancy Pelosi puts it, uh, you get some results on someone like Trump on a on a, a mob boss. If you, you if you tell him he can go this far, you know, and without repercussion, then he's just going to go a little bit further and try to you know press his advantage. This seems like it might be we might have a Rico situation here, which might which would actually sort of the perfect metaphor because he does he is an Atlantic City sort of mob boss character where it will be this maybe this thing that was actually sort of small in the breadth of the corruption that is connected with him. But maybe th this will be the tax evasion. This will be the thing that takes him down. Hopefully. Right. The equivalent of Al Capone going to jail for tax evasion. Right. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's that it is easy to communicate in one sentence. The president of the United States put his own interests, his own electoral interests above the country's interests and leaned on the head of a foreign power to interfere in our elections after we've been talking about foreign interference in our elections for the last three plus years. Well, and the difference is he did it as a president and not as candidate Trump, right? That's another big difference with between this and the Mueller investigation, which you could also reduce into one sentence, which is the president colluded with Russia, you know, pr the president's campaign team colluded with Russians to um, influence the election in, in, in 2016. However, the no collusion thing in that case was very effective. And mm -hmm. Mueller actually ended up in his way affirming that. And Barr uh, actually got up at the podium at the Justice Department and said no collusion. Yeah. But here, Trump released the transcript that proves the memo, the, uh, the, memo, we can, the well, reconstructed we, they, transcript. It's important just because people yeah. on, on MAGA Twitter are saying like, look, they said that, you know, President Trump asked eight times and the transcript proves it's not eight times. You know, so they're seeing this as a word for word thing of what Trump actually said. And parts of it do seem pretty close. I mean, the, the, the trans the, the memo basically does the the thing that he did with uh, J Comey and, and Michael Flynn, where he's like, I hope you can let this go. Like, but but right. it, it goes a little bit over the line. It says, we want you to do me. I want you to do us a favor. Yeah, yeah. And what he's saying to the president of Ukraine is, I hope you cannot let this go. Yeah. Because Ukraine had dropped the investigation into Joe Biden's son because it was seen to be baseless. Right. I mean, the thing is, He's going to spin this just like he shouted no collusion. He'll shout no quid pro quo or whatever it is. And, it, you know, it'll probably 
satisfy his base. And that's really fucking sad, but that's probably what's going to happen. However, so far, it has not satisfied Senate Republicans who yesterday, and I think this is one of the unnoticed big deals of the last two days. Yesterday, they unanimously joined Senate Democrats in calling for the release of the whistleblower report. So that's new. That's really big. The entire Senate is unanimous in wanting the full whistleblower report to come out. Um, so if that continues... Well, and the whistleblower said that he wanted to talk to the Senate and House Intel committees. Mm-hmm. So he's, they, he, or who, she or whoever the whistleblower is, is trying to get the story out however however they can, regardless of whether or not um, the Director of National Intelligence releases the, the, uh, the complaint. I keep hearing that Congress has just like two weeks uh, left in its current session, and I'm wondering if... Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats will just go ahead and send up articles of impeachment just on this. She's already made the case that just from what we know, the president has violated his oath of office and broken the law by requesting the help of a foreign power to interfere in a U.S. election. That's illegal. It was illegal in uh, 2016, and it's still illegal. And they could send that right over to the Senate and keep working on the other articles of impeachment that they want. And, you know, the American people who are kind of polls say nervous about a long drawn out impeachment brouhaha might be less nervous if it only takes two weeks well but what if i mean if it goes to the senate and they decide not to impeach or there's some sort of small slap on the wrist i don't think that that's necessarily going to be good for the democrats i mean trump would just parade that around as an exoneration as he did after the Mueller report came out that would be bad for us so maybe dragging it out is actually the better thing to do so that when we actually come to the next election last year maybe the the, the, the current president will be under impeachment proceedings then which and better the, the current president. president won't be Mike Pence, which is what would happen if right. just Trump is impeached. But that's right. not true. I mean, impeachment doesn't mean getting kicked out of office. Bill Clinton was impeached. Sorry, impeached and removed. Which So to remind anyone who's just like brushing up on their impeachment, uh, the House, like Kitty pointed out, impeaches, but the Senate has to convict and remove. Yeah, and I I think that the sort of the political argument for impeaching uh, isn't let's do it in two weeks and just you know have one article look he broke the law um, and then you know it's to use the impeachment hearings as a way of laying out for the American people all of the corruption that Trump and his administration has been involved in. So at least give us, you know, and to sort of like big, make big viral videos of like him admitting to lying and, you know, his cronies admitting to lying and having all this shit come out. And so it seems like it would be a missed political opportunity for the Democrats to just throw one and go to, you know, throw one up <laughs> to the judiciary and then, and, then, and then break for lunch. All right, let's talk about how this is going to affect more than just the Democrats in Congress, the Democrats who are running for president, a number of whom are in Congress, but really they're in Iowa. So uh, first of all, Joe Biden, who is at the center of this whole thing, right? Like Trump is trying to do a redo of his crooked Hillary stuff where he trashes the Clintons for being corrupt through the Clinton Foundation and blah, blah, blah. And his corruption kind of looks... less bad by comparison if the other person is corrupt too. So now he's trying to manufacture this thing where Joe Biden's son was corrupt in Ukraine. It's been disproved so far, the allegations that Trump is making anyway, but he's he's trying to gin it up. And does Trump getting caught red-handed, uh, you know, with his hand in the election collusion cookie jar, whatever uh, the metaphor is, does that create 
sympathy for the Bidens. Mm, that's not my impulse, but I might not represent the the average American voter. I mean, so Hunter Biden, Biden's son, took this job in 2014. He served on a board of a natural gas company in Ukraine. He was getting $50,000 a month. And it didn't look good. It didn't look good at the time because Joe Biden was involved in foreign policy working with Ukraine. It didn't get look good to the point where the New York Times editorial board wrote a piece basically condemning him for taking this job. So I don't think this looks good for it. There was, there's been no proven allegations of corruption, but just in terms of the optics, it doesn't look good for your son to have a job, you know, $50,000 a month while you're while you're working in this field in this capacity as well. And if and if this were, you know, the Trump children, I'm sure that those of us on the left would have a problem with it. So I think that he's sort of rolling in the shit here. Oh, down with Trump. It is the Trump children, by the way, who are currently right, benefiting right. from their right. dad's office. It looks good for Warren, though. I mean, this, I, I think she's think the so? real winner. I was here. wondering whether the, all this would drown out Warren's uh, policy talk. It might, but she also, she's sort of the anti-corruption candidate, I think, in some ways. I mean, uh, yeah, her work with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, she's sort of, she's sort of, I think placing herself as the the real anti-swamp candidate. Um, so I think this this is good for her. I could see Biden's team turning this into, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of what you said, a big sympathetic uh, martyrdom. To, yeah, martyrdom from Biden. It also puts in the American people's mind who is worried about nothing except for electability that Trump thinks <laughs> that Joe Biden is his actual rival and he's the one getting dirt on him. And so that must be the one he's actually worried about. And Joe so, Biden is trying to embrace that. He says this is happening because I'll beat Trump like a drum. Right. Yeah, That's exactly. his favorite new phrase. Beat Trump like a drum. Very good. Really resonates. <laughs> you know, it resounds uh, in the way a drum resounds. Mm -hmm. We're doing metaphors, Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, but so, yeah, I think, you know, so I think it's great. <laughs> Actually, you know, for Joe Biden, if I was him, I'd be doing exactly that. For Warren, it's good because she came out for impeachment real early, you know, and she was like, I read the whole Mueller report uh, in a day on the plane. And uh, like any of us, unlike anybody else. <laughs> and I am a lawyer and uh, I would I would try this case, you know. Uh, and so uh, so, you know, it, it, it aligns with what she's been um, uh, saying. Uh, so I think it's pretty good for uh, for both of them. But I I, I I predict no no change. All right. Um, well, we will see. Can I just do one note? I mean, just to add, in addition to uh, the you know, the idea that this is catching on because um, and the and the dominoes fell too quickly, just because we're doing more metaphors, uh, <laughs> because of uh, you can say uh, what he did in a single sentence. You know, Congress also broke for recess in August, and all of the indivisible activists and a number of people who have been you know stuffing offices, you know, for uh, you know since Trump got elected, you know, have been giving all Democrats hell for if they weren't coming out for impeachment. So they did feel, you know, pressure and 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 all of these Democrats dropping uh, and coming out for impeachment. Uh, some credit is owed to those those activists. Good point. Next, we are going to return to the outbreak of vaping related illness. You ever have that feeling, Rich, that you pay a lot? for crappy quality. Yep, and I don't know where it comes from. It's the American condition. Mm. It's late capitalism. That's what it is. You told me that. I've been talking about it. Do you want to hit this or? At Everlane. Too early for you. That doesn't happen. Now we're talking about t-shirts. No crappy quality. You upgrade your go-tos and your style and make Everlane's classics your new favorites. <sighs> Everlane only makes premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups. 
They want you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs and are radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. No matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Essentials, like their Cotton Crew t-shirt, are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. And when you hold them up to the light, you can see the threads connecting like all of the universal associations that bind us to one another. That was deep, man. It's very cool. Also, they make some nice pants. I'm wearing some Everlane pants today. They got a little stretch in them. It's kind of freaky. (laughs) Pants keep stretching. (laughs) It's not too big pant. Did you just body shame me? No, a pant. I'm I'm pant. I'm in awe of your pants. Panting. Right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Lester Black, welcome back. Hello. Uh, glad to have you here with Katie to talk again about the outbreak in vaping-related illness and, in a number of cases, deaths. We had a good conversation about it on our last Blabbermouth two weeks ago, and we had some feedback about that conversation. We've also had a lot of developments since then, so we're going to talk about both things. Let's start with the feedback. David Wayne in the Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group writes... Much as I love Blowermouth, I can't let that piece on vaping go without comment. It is not the case that all vaping-related death and disease is happening in states where cannabis isn't legal. They're happening all over the country, with three of the six deaths being in California, Oregon, and Illinois, all states where pot is legal. Also, not all of the cases of lung disease were vaping THC. Some were nicotine only, and some were both. The number of cases may also be underreported as no one has been thinking to ask everyone with lung disease if they vape. Now that they're doing that and going back and checking past cases, it's likely they'll find many more. It literally only takes five minutes to check the very reliable CDC website to find out what's actually going on. The reason so much of the world is going to hell in a handbasket is because people ignore things that it doesn't suit them to hear. I get it. You like vaping, but that doesn't mean you can ignore the risks. Fake news. Hello, Fake David. News. <laughs> Stern talking to from David Wayne. It in only the Facebook takes group. five minutes. Yeah, Lester. Do you I know. know about the CDC? I it's do. .org, I think. Uh, I no, actually linked to that same website he's linking to in one of the stories I've written about this. And I would point out that I think, you know, maybe it sounded like we were writing off this health crisis, but uh, we did talk about one specific case that did happen in a legal state, uh, the case of a man dying in Oregon. Um, and it is accurate to say that the majority of these cases are connected to cannabis vaporizers. There's some, like this commenter says, that are cases where people were using e-cigarettes, nicotine uh, vaporizers, and there's some where they're using both. But the majority of these cases do appear to be connected to THC vaporizers. Um, And it's also true to say the majority of the cases do appear to be connected to the black market. That's not to say it's not happening in the legal market. It is. There's the case in Oregon. There's cases in California. And um, there's even more cases in Washington since we last talked two weeks ago. Um, We're now up to six or seven cases in Washington. 
Um, so it's happening in legal states. Uh, it's happening in illegal states. It's happening with pot vape pens. It's happening with e-cigarettes, the non-pot vape pens. And what is the tally that we're at right now in terms of uh, both diseases and deaths? We're up to nine deaths and over 530 cases. Um, the commenter is correct to point out, though, that th that number might go up because they're kind of going back and looking at health records from the past few months. Um, and since this is gaining awareness, there's likely to be more people who are going to come forward. Um, so, yeah, we're at 530, 530 uh, cases and nine deaths so far. So... Just to uh, give a little more support to what David Wayne perceived, uh, this, this commenter is not the only one. I have a friend who's an epidemiologist who gave me an earful about the last show. Her perception was similar to his, that the kind of uh, bias or confirmation bias, you might call it, the, the bias toward uh, wanting vaping to be safe was clouding Blabbermouth's judgment. So just like take that on because we, when we get these criticisms, we... We get into it, right? Ja Jasmine got accused of working for HBO, and we addressed that. So what they're essentially saying is that uh, you are kind of working for Big Vape or working to justify your own... Uh, addiction. Uh, the word is addiction. Yeah, I don't know. Is it is it my bias clouding our judgment or the literal vape smoke that is around my <laughs> head right now clouding my judgment? Lister's um, vaping at this moment. At this moment, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I would counter by saying there's really an anti-vape bias in this country um, where people want to hate on these things, even though there isn't a lot of medical evidence to show that long-term effects of vaping are going to hurt you. I think one um, complicating factor here with this whole situation is we really have three public health crises or questions going on. We have the rise in American teens vaping, which is really troubling. We have people falling ill and dying, which is really scary. And we have the questions of, uh, do you get sick from vaping in the long term? And in that, la that third one, we really don't know. Um, but we do have uh, a lot of people who uh, are, are nervous about vaping. Well, um, I think we do need to point out, though, in the short term, there are a significant number of people, over 500, who have gotten sick and or died from vaping. So there is this big question now about short-term effects. And then we're talking about vaping THC, and we're also talking about nicotine. So there's not any mystery about the long-term effects of nicotine. Well, the, oh, smoking, smoking nicotine. Smoking nicotine. That's a, there's a I very mean, if big you go to the UK, right. they literally tell smokers to vape. Yeah. They say this is safer. Right. Safer, and so at the same but time, not without any right. risk. But at the same time that like let's say like so Massachusetts today. So Massachusetts announced a total ban on selling vape products, right? And the the, the CEO of Juul just stepped down. Juul has not, as far as we know, been implicated in any of these deaths. Juul is actually big vape. Is, right? Yeah, Juul not is actually big Lester. vape. Right. Um <laughs> So uh, so Massachusetts and other states are instituting these bans, and they're still selling cigarettes. So for smoking cessation, for public health people, it is crazy to me that you are banning the substance that has been shown to help people stop smoking. I mean, Rich isn't here right now, but Rich is an example of this. Rich is a proud member of the vape he is, community. He wears a fedora. I don't know if people know <laughs> this, but Ray wears a fedora and he vapes. So it does seem to be there's, there. There are obviously we should be concerned about this, but this total ban on these products, all it's going to do is turn people into libertarians and make them go back to smoking. 
And I'm, I would point out that I am very concerned about this health crisis. I've written many stories about it. We're following it very closely. And what I'm most concerned about is the fact that we still don't know what is getting people sick. We're having these policy discussions before we really know what is getting people sick. Is it the mango flavoring in a jewel that's getting people sick? There's no evidence that it is. Uh, is it vaping in general that's getting pe people sick? There's really not evidence. There's evidence that there's additives that are getting people sick. And I'm very worried and curious about what those additives are. Right. So, I mean, the thing to do would be to regulate this more. I mean, in, like in Washington state, it is not illegal to put vitamin E oil in your legal vape products. That's bad. There shouldn't be vitamin. It's a fatty substance. You should not be putting this into your lungs. But it's still legal even in this state that's trying to trying to regulate this. But instead of saying we're just going to regulate more and find out what the fuck is in these things, states are banning them entirely. Well, let's go back to kind of the bottom line that everyone who is concerned about this is probably thinking about it's should I continue vaping or not right that was sort of the question that we tangled with at the end of the segment two weeks ago and a lot has happened since then so let's just come back to that like Lester you vape right are you still vaping what do you what do you say to someone who's like should I keep vaping yeah so the advice two weeks ago was put down the black market vape pen and look at what is in your legal vape pen. In Washington state, at least, and in most states with legal cannabis, they are required to list every single product that's in that vape pen. And like I said uh, two weeks ago, you can get cannabis vape pens that have nothing in them but pot. That is the product that I'm still, two weeks later, still vaping. I'm still comfortable to vape these products. Um, I am very worried about our regulations in Washington, though, because like Katie mentioned, we don't actually ban vitamin E oil. I don't buy vaporizers with vitamin E oil in it because you look at the ingredient list and make sure it's not in there, but it's still legal. And so that's worrying. So I think the way we need to confront this crisis is by looking at evidence of actual harmful chemicals and making sure those are not in these products rather than jumping to the conclusion that we should just ban them outright. Katie, do you vape? I'm on a vape break right now, and it has nothing to do with this crisis. I just am taking my first marijuana tolerance break in the last 20 years, um, although I did fall off the wagon this weekend. I did not vape. but uh, So I'm not currently vaping, but when my tolerance break is over, I will I will be vaping again. And I, like Lester, there are products that I know and trust and brands that don't put these additives in their products, so I'll pay a little bit more for my vapes, but I will continue. Okay. What do you think, aside from your reporting, like what do you think is a good source of information about what's going on with the vaping-related illness outbreak? You He's know? also on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, thestranger.com. Um, I think actually Leafly has done a really good job. Um, David Downs and Bruce Barcott over there have really dived into how these illegal markets are functioning. They're following these vape cartridges from China, to downtown LA where they can buy these uh, additives to actually going to the streets. So they've done some really good work. Um, I mean, I trust the New York Times, but also if you look at the national media, they're really getting confused because this is a difficult situation where we have multiple different types of products. If you read the New York Times, you frequently see them mixing up e-cigarettes and THC vape pens and conflating the two. And it really, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to this. Like I said earlier, we have multiple different health crises. Uh, the rise in teen vaping is a huge problem, but that's not what's killing people. Yet somehow we're responding to this crisis of people dying by banning mango-flavored jewels. Be 
because that's what the teens are using, even though, but that's not what's killing people. I, I keep having a flashback as we're talking about this and it's not really a flashback cause I wasn't alive for it, but I've sat with Dan Savage long enough to have it embedded in me. Right. So here's the flashback and I will, I will preface this by saying it is not exactly the same thing, but when you talk about the onset of the AIDS epidemic, right? This scary thing's happening. People don't understand it very much. And the criticism in retrospect is that the government didn't move fast enough. Public health officials didn't sound the alarm fast enough. They weren't strong enough in their statements about what people should do and not do. And so I'm thinking about, okay, well, moving forward to this, which is not the same exact thing, but people are dying. It seems like they're in a kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't thing from your perspective. Like, they they can't know immediately exactly what's causing this and exactly what's going to happen if you do X and Y. But they can see this outbreak that's happening and they can see the, the death data. And so, you know, knowing that they will be criticized if they don't act swiftly and also that they have a duty to warn people and prevent harm, I would imagine that they think, well, it makes a lot of sense to get out there and say something really sweeping or do something really sweeping. But public health, I agree with that, but public health officials also, Lester and I talked about this earlier, and he said they have this sort of religious anti-smoking bias, and I think that's true, and I think that they need to look at it and also in terms of harm reduction, which is very important. I mean, tobacco actually is still killing people. You can still buy cigarettes now. And the fact that they're going to take this thing away that helps people quit smoking, that's a really big problem. That's not, that's not evidence-based good public health policy. I, I would agree that they're in a difficult situation right now, but this could have been prevented if four years ago, when vaping was getting more and more uh, popular, they said, hey, FDA, you need to regulate this right now, just like other countries have. That was the moment when they should have been doing that. And now that we have these deaths, they're now coming around and saying, hey, we should ban these. Let's just make sure we get the they's right. I mean, it may have been that public health officials in states and in local communities were sounding the alarm about this. The people who would have regulated would have been really the Trump administration, right? Well, and no, I mean, this is the, the Obama, Obama administration, administration, but the federal government. Obama so, should have been the first person to be in favor of apes. He was a smoker. He was a smoker. He was on the nicotine gum, right? One more thing on the damned if you, damned if you don't. It's an interesting case in states with legal weed, like Washington, where our Department of Health is actually involved in the regulation of cannabis. They're involved in the regulation of cannabis vaporizers. And so they're in a very difficult position where things that they maybe signed off on are now getting people very sick. So that, yeah, very difficult position. All right. Well, we obviously have some blabbermouth listeners with not just opinions, but actual expertise on this. So you can always dive into the Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group or call the Blabberphone 206-302-2063 if you've got something that you think we need to know or consider about the vaping-related illness outbreak. Lester, thank you. Thanks. Katie, thank you. Thank you. Rich, I want you to think deeply here. What actually makes a better toothbrush not dropping it into the toilet like i did six months ago i had my quip it slipped out on my hands what was i doing dancing in there alone crying no <laughs> cry dancing yes that's what i was doing and uh cry dancing is slippery it is in your a, defense it's a slippery activity it slipped out it's in the toilet and uh i haven't had a quip for six months and my teeth as you can see yeah. made of wood now yeah I had to get dentures All right, well, Quip, as you know, and I imagine you'll be getting another one soon, 
is recommended by dentists and created by dentists and product designers to focus on what actually matters for your oral health and your healthier mouth habits. That's the thing is I just forgot how to do it properly. I'm just in there with a regular brush, just sawing back and forth. It's, it's horrible. Right. Quips sensitive vibrations with a built-in timer guide gentle brushing for the dentist recommended two minutes with 30 second pulses ensuring an even clean quip automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months so your new quip heads are coming soon rich you'll get your clean bristles right on schedule the sleek intuitive design is simple to use and comes with a travel cap that doubles as a mirror mount these thoughtful features make brushing something you actually want to do twice every day. Good habits matter to living a healthier life. So help form fresh oral health habits with Quip. It starts at just $25 and you'll get your first refill free at getquip.com slash blabbermouth. This is a simple way to support blabbermouth and start brushing better. But you have to get a Quip first. And to get it, you go to get. Quip.com slash blobbermouth and get your first refill free. Go right now to getquip.com slash blabbermouth. Desmond Kami, good morning. Good morning, Eli. Chase Burns, hello. Hello. Jasmine, you watched the Emmys so that the rest of us didn't have to. Actually, I watched it too. We watched Just it saying. together. Oh, nice. <laughs> awesome. What did I miss? Um, so, uh, I highlighted three main wins, uh, that I was really excited about. Um, the first being, uh, and ever, this is talked about a lot with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is, I think we talked about it on the podcast, on the pod. Probably. About Fleabag. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she won three Emmys that night. She swept the comedy category. She won best comedy, best writing, um, best lead actress and what's interesting about this is that everyone while everyone loved the second season of Fleabag everyone expected Julia Louis-Dreyfus and The Veep mm. to totally sweep that category as it was its last season that aired recently uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like a comedic genius mm -hmm. um, but uh, th they were wrong everyone was wrong well, um, she got her Mark Twain award yeah so she maybe did that's enough yeah, I mean, she's like, I think she's won this category at least three consecutive years or something like that. Uh, so she didn't need it. But, you know, I think I always expect award shows to not always reward talent. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why would you think that <laughs> nostalgia or prestige or, or something like that? Um, and so and that happened relatively early in the night. Um, and that just led to more surprises later on. Can um, I just interject one yeah. thing? If people are looking for a good, funny YouTube video to watch, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's acceptance speech for the Mark Twain Award is worth a minute on a dark night when you just need to fucking laugh and love someone. Because she is really incredible. Yeah, she is. Uh, I haven't seen that, but... It's it. worth it. Uh, and then the second win that I wanted to highlight was Jarell Jerome, who won Best Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Movie for his role as Corey Wise in uh, When They See Us. Um, and I, didn't, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm familiar with Jarell Jerome from Moonlight, um, and he played he was a fantastic he played a love interest in it. Uh, he did a fantastic job. And I hadn't really seen him uh, on the scene, on the movie scene um, until 
this this film came out, which is focused on the Central Park Five, now known as the Exonerated Five. Um, and he played Corey Wise, who was uh, who had maybe one of the most tragic stories out of that case. Um, he was tried as an adult um, when he was 16 years old for a crime that he didn't do and served 12 years, I believe. And so um, uh, Jarrell Jerome is the first Afro-Latinx actor to win. And um, he is also the youngest person to win this award. So that was incredible to see. And then the last one that I wanted to highlight was Billy Porter winning uh, lead actor in a drama series. Uh, he's the first openly gay black man to win um, for his role as Pray Tell in Pose, which is uh, kind of based off of Paris is Burning, you know, documentary about uh, ball culture. Um, and they cover in the 80s and in New York City and they cover a lot of topics and about, you know, HIV AIDS, um, racism, you know, violence against trans folks. Um, and so it was incredible to see him win. And he quoted James Baldwin in his speech and he was wearing this amazing hat. And, um, you know, I think he he's on his way to an EGOT. So he's I think he has EGT right now. So all he needs is an Oscar. Yeah. Whoopi on The View the next day was like, we're waiting for you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is his name Bill? I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> the Emmys, uh, they really edged us this year because the, uh, beforehand it seemed like Game of Thrones was going to sweep the whole Emmys. And it was sort of like, why am I watching right. this? Because mm-hmm. I have to. But then uh, they turned it around and it felt like the first awards show I've watched in a while where you were like, oh, every single one of these people I agree with. Right. Uh, but also was a total British invasion. So maybe I'm not being patriotic. <laughs> well, and also Jason Bateman won Best Director um, in a drama series. Yeah, I haven't seen Ozark, so I can't I can't comment. Maybe it's, I, maybe I actually I don't think anyone actually watches Ozark. That's actually my biggest uh, conspiracy theory is that it's just a show that we see on the Netflix homepage. We see Jason Bateman's face. We're like, you know what? I'm going to watch another episode of Great British Bake Off. And I was just going to say, I was like, everyone's on Netflix watching Great British Bake Off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, good for Netflix. They got got one. They got got one. Good for the Emmys for listening to Blabbermouth when it comes to Fleabag and Pose. Right, right. Um, And then quickly, I just wanted to mention that both Michelle Williams and Patricia Arquette use their platforms to advocate for women of color and trans people in their their speeches, which was pretty uh, astounding and, and cool to see. Um, so yeah, there was a, it was an interesting, it was interesting that I didn't hate it. I normally sometimes watching award shows, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, but this felt, I, I was really enthused by a lot that happened. All right. Well, another thing that has been happening in the world of things to watch over the last, I guess, two weeks, two and a half weeks is the arrival of Hustlers, which kind of everyone in my world is talking about. Chase, you saw it. Yeah, and Hustlers is also getting to tie it into awards, a little bit of awards buzz, which is sort of surprising. And I think that was what really kicked it off, is you saw this movie, which is about um, strippers in the late 2000s and early 2010s in New York City. Uh, it's based on a New York Magazine article uh, that was they, they describe it as strippers who stole from mostly rich, usually disgusting, in their minds pathetic men, and gave to themselves. And so it's sort of like... A Robin Hood stripper story is the way that it's presented, and it has this huge cast as J-Lo, it has uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez, it has Constance Wu from Crazy Rich Asians, it has Lizzo, it has Cardi B. And so you see that, and you're sort of like, okay, this is a big blockbuster hit, and it's going to do well, but maybe it's going to be a little shallow, or maybe it's just going to be very surface and pop. 
but it actually is it's surprising um it the performances are very strong um people are mostly talking about j-lo for mm -hmm. for winning awards um i think it, in my opinion that might be a little premature but she could definitely i think she might win a golden globe <laughs> what is it <laughs> <laughs> about j-lo's harsh that was harsh yeah. what is you know it what? she deserves it i'm not being rude <laughs> what is it about j-lo's performance that you think even if it didn't move you as much as others what do you think it is that has people talking about oscars is it her? just that it's not horrible no no i because well and i actually i wrote a piece out today i'm like very much in defense of j-lo um she she's one of the biggest stars of the 2000s and one of the really interesting things for me is the way that she um, puts herself back into the 2000s wearing the exact same clothes that she was wearing in the, the 2000s. <laughs> She's wearing Juicy Couture. There's Juicy Couture tracksuits. There's Versace. And she, she there's no songs from J-Lo, which is funny. I think it's sort of like a weird power move. What it is is there's a strip scene right at the very top. She strips to Fiona Apple's Criminal. And uh, it's incredible. It is like four minutes that is jaw dropping she's wearing like no clothes and it's one of the best pole dances i've ever seen it's incredible and she also then continues to hold uh, a movie for uh two hours in a way that is surprising and shocking and talks about power and talks about money and talks about privilege and the whole thing is uh it's way more engrossing than i think it sort of presents itself to be when you were talking about the kind of disgusting rich men who mm -hmm. patronize them and how they're kind of doing a robin hood thing with them yeah but disgusted by them i thought oh is this a kind of um bank shot way of jabbing i just thought trump immediately well he I is referenced in there and it is very it's very it's centered around the 2008 financial crisis and one of the things that we see when we go back now to every period is we're like oh trump was there or someone like trump he, <laughs> studio I mean, 64 yeah, I mean, roy Cohn, he, he's everywhere j-lo's strip club I, I mean it's difficult to put a story in new york and talk about rich powerful money and not have the trump the trump archetype it's uh, and stereotype it's a really easy one to go to and that's part of the allure and power of trump mm -hmm. is that we understand what he represents and we have for a long time and so yeah he he is sort of a, a, a you know a specter floating in there but there's no like trump character hmm. uh, which is good um please tell me that there's at least like a t-pain song oh. or um you know some lloyd i got it like some i mean early usher 2000s. is in there okay. like usher's literally in the movie and plays himself and so i think that was the thing that was really spectacular and engrossing to me is that for me, I felt like I saw the 2000s really clearly for the first time. We've reached a period where the 2000s are starting to become vintage. I know that you sort of wince at that, but once something's 20 years or older, it's, it's, it is vintage uh, in the world of resale. And so going into next year, 2000s vintage. And so you, you sort of tip over in this point where you're seeing those Juicy Couture tracksuits and you're going, oh, the, the, these are the things that we're going to associate with this decade, which is funny but um yeah we're gonna when we look at 2007 and 50 years it's gonna be fucking usher and j-lo and juicy couture and many other <laughs> things but that it that that's that was the decade some paris hilton There's i'm, paris I'm hilton. ready i'm so ready for it <laughs> bring back those tiny bags the tiny you know, bags i are, want the uggs the, you I know mean, no the uh, i mean literally it's for for boots with the fur like it's <laughs> apple bottom jeans and boots with the fur that is what we will look back on at 2000s i'm sorry i didn't choose this y'all chose that in 2000 <laughs> So 
are the people in my world right in saying you absolutely have to go out and see Hustlers? It's very fun. They're very good performances. I, I, it's incredible. I'm just hesitant to say she's going to win an Academy Award because I think it's sort of wild to say that this early on. But yes, I would recommend it. All right. Chase, thank you. Thank you. Jasmine, thank you. Gracias. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Rich Smith, Katie Hertzog, Lester Black, Jasmine Koenig, Chase Burns, or me, call the Blabberphone, 206-302-2063, or dive on into our Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Ahame Filet J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week, and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears.